believe it's birthday today or was it yesterday? Today. Nice, nice, nice. Were you riding a tractor today for your birthday or is Eleanor riding one? I don't know. <laughs> happy birthday. Okay, wonderful. And what a blessing. So make sure you wish Jackson a happy uh, birthday uh, tonight. What a blessing. Amen. So we're going to get into our message this evening. And I want to bring this thought tonight called the excellency of thankfulness. And what gratitude means to our life, how gratitude can help us no matter where we are, what situation we may be in, no matter where our life is. But when we come to thankfulness and gratitude, especially where our life is going, Obviously, where it's been, uh, we understand that. We're thankful for what the Lord has done for us in our life in the past. But we don't know what tomorrow holds. But I do think tonight that there is an excellency that we can see in the passage of scriptures that we've already read of thankfulness and how it benefits us and those around us. So we're going to look again in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Whereas the Bible says that it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were leopards, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were not there, or were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Father, again, we come to it. We ask you to bless the night, the time that we have together one with another. Bless this message to the hearts of the hearers. Tender and touch our minds, Lord, our souls this evening. I just pray that we would glorify you in all that you have done. But help us look into the days that you've given us upon this earth as a mighty and wonderful gift. Let us exercise the excellency of thankfulness. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So the incident that we're looking at here is rather rather unique, to be honest with you. Luke 17 uh, takes place during uh, during the beginning of the Lord's final journey into Jerusalem. And verse 12 tells us this. Verse 12 says on here, it says, And, and as he entered into a certain village, and I'm going to try to be careful tonight not to make more, that's the wrong one, not to make more of, of verses uh, than what they are. But it says he went into a certain village. There met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now, here's one thing that I do want to bring our attention to, is the use of this word certain. Now, Luke uses this, obviously, the gospel according to Luke, and then he's the author of the book of Acts. We understand that it's all written by inspiration of of the Holy Spirit of God. So it's the word of God, but God uses the characteristic of the men who are writing to write these things. Now, Luke, being a physician that he is, okay, he was a Gentile. He's the only Gentile author that we know of. And he writes these, but he uses the word certain more than any other writer. As a matter of fact, the word certain shows up 196 times out of 194 verses. 99 times it's mentioned, it's written by Luke himself. There are some, there's a few verses that I want you to look at just real quick tonight and see why you may find it as well. Uh, the uniqueness and the, the particularness, if you will, when the word certain is used. 
Acts 3 verse 2 says, A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, uh, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, in, uh, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of him that entered into the temple. Acts chapter 5 verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. We know how that story ended. They kept back part and they both died. A very important aspect that happened there. Acts chapter 8 and verse 9, But there was a certain man called Simon, okay, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, given out that him himself was some great one. That was Simon the sorcerer who tried to buy salvation with money, if you will. Okay, Acts chapter 9, verse 10, And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. This is a different one. This is the one that prayed over Paul. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The rest of that story goes, he says, listen, I got a convert over, I got a guy that was just saved. I need you to go show yourself to him. I need you to go pray over him. I need you to go baptize him, and I'm going to show him the great things he's going to do for me. And Ananias, if, you, if you're not familiar with that story, he knew he was talking about Saul, and he understood Saul had come to Damascus for one reason, and that was to arrest and kill people who named the name of Christ. And Ananias said, well, Lord, you know who this guy is, don't you? Of course, he was faithful and obedient. A very important part of the scriptures. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, uh, one of the most important uh, uh, conversions that we find in Scripture. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, and there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Peter was called and commanded to go to him. He won him to Christ, led him to the Lord. This word certain is used yet again. Acts 14 and verse 19 says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Paul had been stoned there in Lystra that time. He was stoned by these same people, these what are called Judaizers. They followed Paul around from city to city to city and stirred up problems everywhere he preached. And this is a pinnacle event, a very important event that happened. And Luke wants to let us know that it's not just a group of Judaizers, but a certain group of them. Acts 16, we find one of the same thing. Last verse you'll look at, per se. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, as she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. That was in the city of Philippi. They had come into Philippi that day and looked around trying to find a place to preach. And he had heard a rumor that people who wanted to pray to God went down to the riverbank and they go down there. And there's this lady down there named Lydia. And Paul went down there and prayed and preached, and she heard the words, and she attended to the words. She was saved, converted, and then they, she constrained them to come into her house. Her family was one to Christ. And the church of Philippi that we read about in the letter was started in her home in this governmental city known as Philippi. I'm saying all that to make this point. Luke uses this by inspiration of God to let us know that it's not just some woman down there, not just some seller of purple, but a certain woman, an important person. Because God used her to start a work right there, or used her house to start a work. She was a person who desired to be around God and God's people. All of these things that we just read, and many, many more throughout the book of Acts, as well as in the book of Luke, they're referring to people who were either prominent, or the event plays a vital role in the development of the gospel across the new world. Luke chapter 5 is another event I want you to see here. It ties together what we're looking at tonight. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. It's another certain city. 
We don't know the name of it. Many times when Luke is writing and we find in the record, you don't know the name maybe of a person or you don't know the name of a place. But he lets you know that it is a certain place. And the Lord, we know, heals this man in Luke 5. And, but he yet gave the same instructions he did the 10 to go present themselves to the priest. And we'll get into that in just a moment. So back to Luke 17 tonight. A certain city that the Lord rolls up in. A certain place that he comes up there with his disciples, finding 10 lepers there in the city. A city somewhere in the middle of Galilee and Samaria. I mean, one can surmise that it was probably the misery of this disease which unified this lot together. What we do find in Scripture, 2 Kings uh, uh, shows us something. I don't think I put the verse up there. Uh, but 2 Kings shows us a, 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 tells us a verse in there on the Scripture. It says, uh, uh, And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit ye here? Why sit we here until we die? And so we know that the events, we know that, that those who had contracted uh, leprosy, we understand, they, they, they ended up going back to uh, uh, places together, one with another. And this is what we see within the scriptures. We see these men, these ten, in this certain city, in a place that is in between Samaria and Galilee. We even find a Samaritan in the mix. Uh, a Samaritan and the Israelites were to have no dealings one with another. Uh, they, they hated one another. But I'm just assuming tonight, and I guess you probably would agree with me, that the outcast of leprosy, outweighed the societal separation between the hereditary hatred of the Israelites and the Samaritan. There's something quite interesting that we can see here in the scriptures, and we're going to get into point number one. I'll see where we are on your, your little outline up there, get past some of these things, where we were, and get to where we need to be. One thing that you're going to find about this group, and one thing that we need not overlook tonight, especially in the day and age that we live in, is that here's what you find. These lepers knew their place, okay? Now, I want you to stay with me on this tonight. They knew their place. They knew the law. They knew the economy they were living in. They knew uh, the dispensation that they were living in right now, that the lepers had to remain away and apart from everyone. Look in verse 12 with me again, if you will, in your scriptures. And it says, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They understood what they were. They didn't look at themselves as having a, um, you know, any type of, of special rights. They didn't demand anything. Uh, they, they Listen, they, they knew what this dreadful disease, even in the Old Testament, what it symbolizes. It symbolizes separation and sin. Leviticus 13 is very clear, and it teaches us that uh, about this uh, separation and the quarantine that must take place. And if the only ones who can pronounce them clean and let them go back into society in general were the priests. So they stood afar off. This group kept their distance as commanded by the Mosaic law. But as they saw Jesus, here's something where this is where my brain, my mind kind of runs on a little bit of a tangent sometimes. I wonder how they recognized him. I mean, Jesus didn't run around with a name tag. As a matter of fact, many of the miracles that he did, he said, tell no man who's done this. When he comes through there, when Jesus and his disciples walk through there, when his followers make their way there, something revived 
in their heart. Here they are. They know their place. They know that they are an outcast. They are out. Everybody else is over there, and they're staying here. Here's the way I picture that thing. I picture it with, uh, here's these ten lepers. They're staying away from everyone. They're in a certain village somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, two areas that hated one another. They have no dealings with one another, and they're in this village. They're in this city. They're in this place, and if people would come this way, they would go over here. They had to. That was the law. Do you know what the sentence was that if a leper went into the into public and the general population, do you know what happened? They were immediately stoned to death in front of everyone, then taken out and burned. They burned because of leprosy. Now, that's not a happy ending. I understand that. That's not something we're like, you are not happy about that tonight. But that's what the law. That was the law. And so they stayed away. But Jesus Christ and those disciples came into that city. And for the life of me, I don't know how, they recognized him. They were in their place, but there was something that revived in their heart when they saw Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what it was. It's called hope. It's called hope. You know, hope is one thing that's stronger than fear. Hope will drive you to do things that you never thought you were capable of doing. If you have just one glimmer, one flicker of hope. I mean, hope is stronger than any depression that you'll ever be afraid Just one little flicker, that's all you need. One little drop of when hope can revive. I think about these lepers. I know the process. I've read the book of Leviticus thousands of times. I know what they had to go through. If they had gone through the quarantine process, stayed where they were supposed to stay, be evaluated by the priest, as soon as the rising in the skin was would, would dissipate and go away, or if it did, they could come back to society. But here we find them collectively together. I don't see any place where they're locked up, no colony, and they're just staying away from people. They're staying in their place. I would imagine, I would imagine, Sue, that their hope died. You know what I think about sometimes? Again, this is where my brain runs. I call this the white parts of the Bible. I got that from a friend of mine. It's not really in the words. You just kind of come up with it every now and then. I'm not trying to pervert the scriptures or anything. I just wonder if that lot sat around together. Maybe sitting by a fire, warming themselves. And I wonder if they heard the stories of when the paralytic was raised from the floor. I wonder if they heard the stories of when those, when those blokes, those four friends brought that man who was paralyzed. And they tore down the roof and the ceiling and they lowered him down into the floor and before Jesus because they couldn't get through because of the press. And he said, get up and take your bed. And he did. I wonder if they heard stories about when that woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, she just touched the hem of his garment, man. She didn't even touch him, just his clothes, and she was immediately healed. I wonder if you heard about the centurion servant, the blind man that Christ spat in some mud and rubbed his eyes, the man that he stuck his fingers in ear and he could hear, the, 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 the dumb that spoke. I just wonder if they heard those stories, they heard those events, I can see him talking about it. He said, man, if, if he could come see us, how great would that be? You have the same conversations. You say, man, if I won the lottery, I'd do this, this, and this. <laughs> I imagine one person. There's always going to be that one stick in the mud in a group. No matter how big or small the group is, there's that one person that's negative Nancy, and that's just the way it works out. And I, I can see them all kind of smiling and saying, man, if we could just see Jesus, man, we can get rid of this disease. He did all those great and wonderful things. And, there's going to be somebody in the mix over there. That, yeah, but he'd never come see us. We're lepers. He's probably never going to come through here. Nobody even knows about this certain city. 
Nobody knows where we are because we're between two nations, and those two nations hate one another. So he's not going to come here. Will powwow session was squashed. Man, but hope. That one little flicker, that one little flame. When Jesus Christ turned that corner, that hope was greater than any weariness they had experienced. The Savior revitalized hope in these wayward outcasts. They looked over there at him and in their own place, in their own situation, circumstance, in their own illness, their own diagnosis, whatever you want to call it. They didn't demand it to be overlooked. But what they did was make a plea. Verse 13 tells us, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know what they're looking for? They're not looking to be comfortable. They're not looking for sweet words. They're not looking for candy-coated messages, nine-minute sermonettes, going outside, smoking a cigarette. They look for any of those things. You know what they're looking for? Man, they just want this thing gone. They just want deliverance. They're not looking for anything, no speciality, nothing like that. They're not looking to numb the pain, overlook the illness, or hide the disease. They're making a plea to the And that was Jesus Christ. And see what the Lord Jesus Christ did? Gave them specific instructions in verse 14. So we find them blessed with a part. And look in verse 14, if you've got your Bibles out. It says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, those that have a Bible tonight, if you take notes in your Bible, you underscore three words. As they went. That's how they got the pardon. Obedience, trust, dependence, faith. You say, well, why didn't Jesus just heal him and snap his fingers? Why didn't he just wipe it away? He, he was obedient to the law. But when the Sabbath rolled around, when Jesus Christ came into a city, the Bible tells us as his custom was, he went to church. Amen. He was obedient. He was faithful. Jesus was not going to preach anything contrary to his very word, even in the Old Testament, even though he was coming to change that dispensation. A priest legally was the only one who could issue them a reprieve back into society. He could have healed them, but if they didn't go before that priest, they couldn't go into society. But they had obedience. They obeyed. You, you want some deliverance in your life, guys? Whatever demon may be holding you down, whatever stronghold that is in your mind, emotionally, mentally, whatever it may be, you know what it's going to start with tonight? It's going to start with obedience. God's not going to give you deliverance or something if you're not going to follow his instructions. I've had people, I've, you, I, I have sat with people across the, uh, the counseling table at my desk for 26 years, 27 years, counseling them with some of the worst things you can imagine. And I'll always hear, preacher, I've prayed, I've prayed, and i pray, prayed, and that's good, you should pray. But when you quit praying, or when you finish your prayer, I should say, you got to get up and do something about it. you got to put some legs underneath it, amen. That's how they got the pardon. 
the Lord told them to do something, they did it, and they got clenched. And some might find it, they may find it difficult of why would the Lord command them to go to the priest. Again, it's part of the law. But here's what we have. We have this one guy, this stranger, this outcast, a beyond outcast, a double outcast, this Samaritan. You know, it's one thing to have fellowship when you're linked together with something in your life, being an ailment or a sport or a commonality or something along that line. It's easy to overlook one's history and heritage, if you will. You know, when both of you are either suffering or celebrating for the same thing. But now things are different. When they obeyed the Lord and they started going to where they were going, they were all clenched. And I just wonder if that bondship, that kinship, if you will, I wonder if it waned. I wonder if, when, if that Samaritan started thinking, you know what, we're going to this priest. He's not even my priest. He doesn't even like me. He's not letting me back into society because he hates me because of who I am, not what I had. And he got to thinking, priest didn't heal me. That guy over there did. So we finally receive the pardon based off the plea they made. So he goes back to the one who set him free, the one who gave him the pardon in the first place, and that's Jesus. And this is where the event becomes intricately important, I would say, to us. Because I want you to notice the praise. I want you to see the praise tonight. Verses 15 and 16 say, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, guys, he went back. He was heading the way they went. He was obeying the way they were. And guys, all of a sudden, he realizes that everything that has, had locked him out of society, besides his heritage, all this pain and suffering that they had experienced for however long amongst this group was gone. When Jesus Christ heals you, you're healed. It was gone. And instead of following that group, who probably wasn't going to like him anyway, Instead of going and being reinstated by the priest into society as a citizen, he went back to the one that healed him. And he exercised thankfulness. He went back to this one and he gave him praise. Now I'm going to ask you this question tonight, and this is where this is where it should get personal. How many people of us tonight are either guilty or at least no people? Who've reaped the benefits of salvation. Now when I say reap the benefits of salvation, I mean they have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. The free pardon of sin, of the reason he died on the cross, buried in the grave, and risen again. It is a very simple thing to do. The Holy Spirit of God saves your soul, seals you under the day of redemption. When you make the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead. Ask forgiveness of sins, guys, and you're saved for eternity. You couldn't lose it if you wanted to. Loads of people have reaped that benefit. Mind you guys, you're not chosen amongst the group to be saved. It's a free choice that every single one of us can make. Jesus Christ died once. He died for all. Okay? According to what is it, the 15th of November, our world had 8 billion people. He died for those 8 billion people. And many, many more before and afterwards. 
If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want eternal life, that's going to be it's your choice. You have to make that. And there's the benefits of it. But how many people do we know, and maybe referring to ourselves, who have reaped the benefits of salvation, meaning eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, the power to overcome strongholds in our life and such like, blessings beyond belief, and etc. I'm not going to keep going on. And yet they enjoy these things freely. They have that assurance of salvation. They know when Christ comes back, they're going up with him. And yet they never stop and praise the Lord of glory. They never exercise the excellence of thanksgiving, of thankfulness. Gratitude, what Jesus did for them. Let's bring it down to make it real tonight. Not that it's not real now. But I'm going to make it a little less spiritual for you. Okay? Let's just talk about your life. Did you know that every life, every living, breathing soul on this planet today is a gift from God? Now, every one of us here probably have a reason or an excuse to complain about something. I get it. it in my world, it's mainly going to be cars, driving, all right, traffic. <laughs> but our life is a gift. Every minute, every moment, every opportunity we have to take one breath in and exhale out another breath. To see, to hear, to taste, to touch, to smell. Every part of that is a gift, no matter what we may be dealing with tonight. 155,000 people die every single day. 1.8 people pass away every second in our world today. Do the math. 3.1 million people in the wells, right? Just do the math tonight. 1.8 people per second. Yet here we are tonight, living, breathing, thinking. We were just singing a little bit ago. You guys sing so beautiful. When was the last time you thanked God for giving you the life that you have? Oh, preacher, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Stop. You're here. You're breathing. You're leaving. You're living. That heart's pumping as if for this very second you got blood going through your veins. When was the last time you thanked God for it? How often do we just simply, man, praise Him? Thank Him for it. Do you know you're not entitled to life? God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me one thing at all. The fact that I'm 51 years old is an absolute miracle. I called a man the other day, 84 years old. He turned on the 23rd of November. Had a great influence in my life. He had a great influence in my life because of just a handful of words that he said one time. He believed in me. Why he believed in me, I have no idea. But he says, BJ, how old are you now? I said, I'm 51. He goes, oh, my soul. I said, yeah. And he goes, you know what that makes me? I said, I know what it makes you. You're 84. And, uh, he goes, I never thought I'd live to see 84. I said, I never thought I'd live to see 51. I was told I'd never live to see 18. We've got to get to a point that this Samaritan was in. 
We've got to get to a place in our days, in our life, in our moments, in the minutes, in everything that we have on a daily basis to where we just stop, turn around, praise God, fall at His feet, and thank Him for what He's done. Not ask for more. You know, there's people praying for you every single day. As a matter of fact, you specifically in this room tonight, you have no idea how many people across the world are praying for you, particularly in here tonight at Calvary Baptist Church, Corinth. I can assure you, when they meet for church tonight and churches all across Germany, all across Mexico, the Philippines, India, all across Europe, all across America, they're praying for you. I got an email just earlier from Mexico letting me know they're praying for you. I'm quite thankful for that, if you all know the truth. Guys, it's not deep. My soul, it's not even spiritual right now. I'm talking about your physical life. I'm simply talking about exercising praise to Jesus Christ for the life that he's allowed you to have thus far in these days. Every single person that's ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior lived long enough to get to that point to be saved. They lived long enough to get to that moment. But as I get ready to close tonight, I want you to see something. I want you to see who's praising here. All right? In verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said, Where uh, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God. And he says, Save this stranger. The Lord calls out the nine. But here's a stranger, an alien, a foreigner. The man who wasn't part of the inheritance. He was not part of the covenant. I mean, he wasn't even welcome to be around the Israelites under normal circumstances. He was an outcast from Israel more than just a disease. He was an outcast because of his heritage. They hated one another. And yet, where do you find him? At Jesus Christ's feet, bowing and praising the one, giving thanks for the pardon he received. And all of this, guys, and everything that we see here tonight, and what we see in the life of this Samaritan, the excellency of thankfulness. What's seen and heard in the words of this leper. What's seen in his action with all this going on. Do you know what you and I get to see? We get to see a great shadow of what's to come. And lastly, we get to see a promise. Jesus says in verse 19, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Not his works. His obedience, his faith, his trust, his dependence, the promise of faith is spoken here by the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what a gift is? We're getting ready for Christmas. I love gifts. I love Christmas. You know what a gift is? Gifts free. Gift doesn't cost you one thing. Nothing. That's what makes it a gift. I use this illustration. I've used this illustration. I'm getting ready to use I've used it all over the world. Probably used it here before. I like I hadn't heard it before. But if I was to reach deep inside of my pocket right now, and I was to pull out keys to a brand spanking new, what's your favorite car in the world? Maserati? You want a Maserati? Porsche 911. Porsche 911 Carrera. There we go. And I said, Robbie... Look at that. See, I, I didn't tell you what I'm going to do yet. <laughs> if I said, here, these are yours, man. Tank is full. Insurance is paid. Taxes are paid. 
It's all yours. And I got ready to turn away. I was signed the deed. Here it is. I said, just give me a pound. What would you do? You'd give me a pound, wouldn't you? Probably rip a pound out of any. Yeah, it's a good deal, isn't it? But it's not a gift. It's not a gift. Salvation by through grace, by faith, is not a good deal. It's a gift. And as good of a deal that 9-11 would be for a pound, if I was to do everything that I did, and I said, this is yours because I love you. I paid for it. I've worked my whole life for it. I've given everything that I own up to have this, and it's yours. No cost. You just got to receive it. A gift does no good, still wrapped up, sitting on the tree. Tonight, guys, I'm here to tell you that the excellency of thankfulness is seen and known in our life. It's seen and known in our life, in our actions, in our words, in our deeds. We see it in this Samaritan tonight. Because he recognized the free gift he received. He recognized he didn't deserve it. And he went back to the one that saved him. He went back to the one that cleansed him. He went back to the one that gave him the pardon. He gave, went back to the one that gave him the Porsche. And he praised God. So guys, I'm going to challenge you tonight to ask yourself this. When's the last time? When's the last time you just thanked God, the great life giver? Forgiving you life. It was the last time you bowed your head and you thanked him for eternal life. And if that's new to you tonight, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, the free pardon of sin, and I said free, it's simpler than you can imagine. It's easy. It's all you got to do, bow your heart to the Lord. Acknowledge Jesus Christ for who He is. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is God. Ask forgiveness of sins and accept Him into your heart and your life as Lord and Savior. You trust on Him tonight. His own word bonds that promise that He will save you. And that Holy Spirit of promise seals you unto the day of redemption. My friend, after that, you're not only thanking him for the life that you have now, but the life that you have to come. That's the excellency of thankfulness. Let's bow your heads, if you will. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your mighty blessings. I thank you personally, Father, for saving my soul. I thank you for the free gift of salvation. I thank you for the sacrifice that was paid only by you. And I just simply ask you this evening that, if you will, Touch and tender the hearts of every soul that's here, everyone that's in earshot of this message tonight. And I simply ask you, Father, challenge their heart to know where they are eternally. And Lord, I pray that they would receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Very simple, very easy. Trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would not go one day without exercising thankfulness toward you, toward Jesus Christ, toward the, the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise now. And again, I do thank you for everything that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 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 I hope and pray that the preaching, teaching of the Word of God is a blessing to you.